Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come this day recognizing that Your Word has given us all that we need for life and godliness, understanding that it is Your special revelation to us and, and that we have truth. And in a world that is following the father of lies, that, that is continually confused and, and following the prince of the power of the air and dead in their sins, uh, You have given us life. You've given us the light of the gospel. You have taken us from uh, being darkened in our understanding and, and giving us the light that we need to see the glory of Christ. And for that, we are grateful. And I pray now that as we look into Your Word and we remember that we have an enemy that despises that very reality, uh, that we would be aware, that we'd be alert, as You have told us, that we would understand that uh, we need to humble ourselves and to not be proud and arrogant and resist the devil. Uh, and we're grateful that you have given us the tools to do just that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's start with Genesis 3. And we'll just read this account, and then we'll kind of use it as a, a base passage, if you will. Uh, but we'll be various places. Genesis 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman... Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some, of her, saved, gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. We'll just stop there. Satan means adversary or opponent, and he is definitely our chief opponent. Uh, again, we have three enemies that Scripture talks about. I would say Satan is that chief opponent. He is our adversary, and Scripture talks about uh, that. In fact, it even talks about the reality of if somebody's going to go into ministry, that they need to be a very committed, mature believer, lest they fall under the same condemnation as the devil himself. That's a pretty significant passage. That is, that if you are pursuing ministry and you are... You are, the, the church has been warned to be very careful not to put someone who is not qualified in the ministry because they could fall under the same condemnation as the devil. Serious stuff. We're also told in Scripture that, that the world, the whole world, lies in the power of the evil one, 1 John 5, 19 says. And while we know that we are of God, when we look around the world and we look at the people that we see, and maybe, you know, as I was walking around this weekend, they're having this barbecue fest out here 
uh, in, in downtown Maryville, and I'm at the store, and, and I'm at all these places, and, I'm, and, and the, the reality is, is that most of the people that I am looking at are under the power of the evil one. That's the reality. And so it's, it's Scripture helps us see what we don't see with our eyes and be aware and be changed and molded by those truths. And that's why it's so important that we are keeping Scripture before our eyes because we have an enemy that is going to and fro all over the face of the earth. He is extremely, extremely busy, and he's the father of lies, and he's deluded the whole world. He is the schemer, the great schemer. And Ephesians 6.11 says, Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. One of the things that we're going to talk about next week is, it's interesting to me because in Genesis 3, if we were to go back just to the verses right before Genesis 3, what is being discussed? What is being uh, what are we learning about in those verses right before we hear about the serpent? If you go back to Genesis 2, 24, 25. Man and woman and marriage, the institute of marriage, right? And then if we were to go to Ephesians 6, where it talks about putting on the armor of God, what has Paul just been talking about before we get on to this passage about putting on the armor of God? Yeah, husbands and wives and the family and so on. And so there, there seem, and we go, there's more passages like this, but, but tied to this seems to be the importance of the home, the family, marriage. And Satan is after marriages. He's after homes. Uh, and of course, he's after the church. Uh, we know that as well. But it's important, and we want to keep that in mind. And next week, we will really spotlight how Satan is after families and how he's after the home. But it's something to be aware of, and I don't think that's by any accident uh, that those passages line up together. All right, so he is a schemer, and that word scheme, that we are to stand against the schemes. When you think of a scheme, uh, you think of somebody who is crafty, uh, a sleight of hand. I was watching some magic tricks last night as I was preparing for my message here, and, uh, um, and I was watching uh, as they tricked you and tricked your eyes, and they were, the, the better the magician, the better he can divert you from what's really happening and hide what is reality there and so that your eyes are deceived. You know something's going on, but you don't know how, if a magician's really good, uh, you don't know how he's doing that. And now with YouTube, of course, they've exposed all the tricks, which is really neat, and you can kind of see how those illusions work. And, uh, and Satan is the master illusionist, right? He's the master illusionist. And in order to carry out his lies, he has to observe and he has to plan. And, and uh, be aware that the of the fact that Satan observes. He is, not all, he is not all-knowing. He's not omniscient. He's not God. He's not all-powerful. But he does observe, he does plan, he does adjust, he is the master opportunist. He looks for opportunities to do what he needs to do. In fact, Paul in writing the Corinthians says, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ, which is what the devil would love 
for all of us to do, and that is to abandon our love for the one that he despises. And that word cunning means crafty. It's skilled in giving false wisdom. Now, you might, cunning can be used in a good way, but primarily in Scripture it's talked about in a crafty way. It's you're hiding something. You're good at, at that false wisdom, and that's what Satan is so good at. In fact, those that follow him and those that are his teachers, they're his ministers, they can actually, they can actually deceive many, many believers by their craftiness he gives them their craftiness. He gives them his craftiness. It says in Ephesians again that we may no longer be children. That's those of us who are believers. Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. See, false teachers take the schemes of Satan and they learn how to master them. And that's what Satan does. He himself is able to be transferred to an angel, transform himself into an angel of light, and his ministers as well come as angels of light. And they are a dime a dozen today in our world, and they have lots of exposure, and we need to be careful. And so many are caught up in every scheme that they come across. We don't want to be tossed to and fro. It doesn't bring glory to God, and it does please Satan himself. Gerald Payne uh, of Greater Ministries International was a schemer back in the 90s. In fact, he was able to, his scheme brought in $448 million, which is really nothing nowadays. But uh, he convinced nearly 20,000 investors to hand over millions in a program that claimed it could double your blessings. The IRS began to investigate based on suspicious bank activity by 2001, Payne was convicted and sentenced to 27 years in prison. And at that time, the IRS called it one of the biggest Ponzi schemes that they had ever investigated. Well, the greatest Ponzi scheme is Satan himself, and he has literally diluted the whole world. The whole world lies in his power. That is something. And yet, we're not, we're not really paying attention uh, as we ought. Any of you familiar with Keith Green, the songwriter back in the 70s and 80s? Wrote some great, great lyrics. I like Keith Green. Um, don't agree with all of his lyrics, but some of, most of them are, are very thought-provoking. And he wrote this song about the devil. He said, oh, my job keeps getting easier as time keeps slipping away. I can imitate the brightest light and make the night look just like day. I put some truth in every lie to tickle itching ears. You know, I'm drawing people just like flies because they like what they hear. I'm gaining power by the hour. They're falling by the score. You know, it's getting very simple now because no one believes in me anymore. Oh, heaven's just a state of mind. My book read on your shelf. Oh, have you heard that God is dead? I made that one up myself. They're dabbling in magic spells. They get their fortunes read. You know, they heard the truth but turned away, and they followed me instead. I used to have to sneak around, but now they just open their doors. No one is watching for my trick since no one believes in me anymore. Everyone's like a winner. With my help, you're guaranteed to win. Hey, man, you ain't no sinner. No, you've got the truth within. And as your life slips by, you believe the lie that you did it on your own. But don't worry. I'll be there to help you share a dark, eternal home. 
a dark, eternal home. Oh, my job keeps getting easier as day slips into day. The magazines, the newspapers print every word, I say. This world is just my spinning top. It's all like child's play. You know, I dream that it would never stop, but I know it's not that way. Still, my work goes on and on, always stronger than before. I'm going to make it dark before the dawn since no one believes in me anymore. And that's true. Satan is working hard, and we cannot go to sleep. And I, I do fear that the church is. Well, what are his tactics? I think one is that he is a deceiver. He is a deceiver. And he does this first by darkening the mind Darkening the understanding of God's Word. Darkening those who, who, whose minds cannot understand the Word of God. So we can say first, He darkens the mind. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says this, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So let me ask you a question. If there was no Satan roaming around right now, would, would unbelievers be able to freely see the gospel? No, right? So, because they're dead in their sins. The unbelievers are dead when it comes to spiritual things. They are already blind. Their, their hearts are like stone uh, until the Lord gives them a heart of flesh uh, under the new covenant. But... How then can Satan blind the minds? Why is he responsible? In other words, what is his role in darkening the minds of those who have no understanding? If they're already dead, then why, what's Satan's purpose? Well, Jesus gives a parable, right, of the seeds. And in that parable, he talks about Satan basically destroying the seed. Okay. Like we're going forth the gospel, right, and then squandering. Right. Yeah, yeah okay, so you have the parable in Matthew 13 of the four soils and the seed being spread on all four soils. And that first one, uh, we find out that uh, represents those whose hearts are hard. And when the seed falls on their heart, that who comes by? The birds come and they pick up the seed. But we find out from Jesus that those birds represent Satan and his demons, ultimately, who snatched the word from their understanding. So... We see that when the Word of God goes forth, the devil is actively hiding God's Word ultimately. He snatches it from them, uh, lest it fall on their hearts, if you will. Now, their hearts are hard, and their hearts have to be changed by God Himself, but the devil is actively opposing that work. Well, yeah, to, yeah. Just to kind of agree with you on that, but I, I was shocked one day when I was walking down the street, and I picked up just this little rubber bracelet, you know, and they used to make those WWJD right. bracelets. Right. And I thought it was a WWJD bracelet, but it was a satanic one. And it literally said on it, stop the spread of the word. Wow. Like, so people, yeah. Yeah. I, and exactly what they want to, to do. It really is. And there is, op there, there is that opposition. And that opposition comes from the father of lies himself. They, they are, mo like I said, he capitalizes on our sin, on our deadness, He's the great opportunist, as I said. In fact, if we were to go, if probably next week, we will talk a little more about, in Ephesians, it says, do not be angry, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, and do not give what? An opportunity or a foothold for the devil. 
Why? Because the devil will take, he will seize upon that. And you think that does not affect your home? Uh, it does affect your home, and he's actively working against home. Now, my guess is probably the devil himself has never been in our homes. Maybe, I don't know that anybody here is that important, uh, but he certainly has those that are in our homes. And this is where I think we need, again, maybe in our circle sometimes we downplay this. Uh, we think that, well, it's all our own sin. Uh, it's all just us. We don't need the devil. Well, that's all true, but there is a devil, and he is actively opposing. And he is, once we become a believer, we become a main target for the devil. He hates the people of God. He hated the people of God in the Old Testament. He hates them in the New Testament, and he will hate them forever. He's the great accuser, and we see that throughout Scripture. All right? So he is, he capitalizes on that. And you see that presented by people. Erwin Lutzer, in his book, God's Devil, wrote this. Sometimes Satan uses blatant lies. At other times, he mixes truth and error. If we are blind to part of the truth, we are open to deception. And no one is as blind as the person who has been deceived into thinking he now sees. And this is how Satan works. And how many people that, if you counsel anybody, you see a blindness a lot of times in their own condition. And Satan is very, he's working behind the scenes uh, to keep them that way. Uh, he is active. And if you believe part of the truth, but you believe part of the lie, you are deceived. And Satan is the master. He's the counterfeiter. Um, William Grinnell in, in the, the Christian's Complete Armor said, the heart of man is the oven, the devil the baker, and temptation the fire with which he heats it. And then uh, another uh, pastor wrote this, The flesh is like a pool of gasoline. The world is like a lighted match. The devil is the arsonist who likes to throw the match. So we are not to be ignorant of his devices. He is like a master fisherman, as I said last week, who can bait his hooks and hides the truth, the reality behind it. And he is able to keep us. That's one of his tricks. He's able to keep us from seeing the consequences. Listen to Thomas Brooks in Precious Remedies for Satan's Devices. He says, he presents the bait and hides the hook, like any good fisherman, right? To present the golden cup and hide the poison, to present the sweet, the pleasure, and the profit that may flow in upon the soul by yielding to sin, and by hiding from the soul the wrath and misery that will certainly follow the committing of sin. Here is the bait. The sweet, the pleasure, the profit. Oh, but he hides the hook, the shame, the wrath, and the loss that would certainly follow. And isn't that not what he did with Eve? He, he suggested, he's a great suggester, suggester. And that's how he often brings in his lies. Derek Kidner, who wrote an excellent uh, commentary on Genesis, said this. The tempter in Genesis 3 starts with a suggestion, not an argument. So what is the suggestion that, that the serpent starts with in Genesis 3? What does he suggest to Eve? Did God really say? Did God really say? Right? He's not arguing with her at this point. He's just suggesting something. Maybe something that Eve hadn't really thought before. Right? And so he suggests it. And, and that's what he often does. Uh, he often starts with a suggestion rather than an argument. The incredulous tone, so God has actually said, 
is both disturbing and flattering. It smuggles in the assumption that God's word is subject to our judgment. The tempter draws her into a debate on his terms. And that's what the devil does, right? How many doubts, how many of you have struggled in any way with something to do with the character of God, maybe his goodness, his sovereignty, his his wrath, his judgment? How many of you have, have wrestled in your own mind to believe that God is good due to some part of his character? Raise your hand. Yeah, I mean, that's that if it would almost be inhuman if we've not, um, because there are things beyond our understanding that cause us to question, well, how, how do I know? How can I believe that God is really good when this happens? Is God, God's really going to throw people in hell that never heard about him? That, that's your God. He's, he's good. God's really in control of that shooting that just took place, you know, over in such and such a place. God's really good, and there's famine all over the world and wars, and, and your grandma's going to be in hell forever and ever. That, that's a good God. I mean, I, you know, I don't know what all suggestions have gone through your own mind. But the reality is, is the things we don't know, Satan is very good at wanting us to know, and they're not going to be things that are revealed to us. But, but with Eve, she had no reason to question God's goodness. And what's fascinating is um, he, he takes everything that God had done and, and had made was good, the Bible says. And he was able to take and to put in question in Eve's mind he, he, the one thing that God did not give them out of all the good things that God had given Adam and Eve, he was able to get her to focus on that one thing. And actually, it was a one thing that was good, but he was able to twist that. And she now saw God in a different light. God now was able, is keeping something from her, right? And so uh, he, is, he was able to, to, be, to present God as an adversary, and he's the adversary, but he presents God as the adversary. It's part of his magic trick that he does. It's sleight of hand. What is God keeping from you? Are you suspicious of God's goodness? What about you, though? As you consider your own life and where you're at in life, do you have any thoughts that stay in the back of your mind? Is God really good to me? Eve listened to the creature rather than the creator. And if we were to go to Romans 1, we would see the problems of worshiping the creation rather than the creator, right? It doesn't go well. Well, he certainly goes after the institution of marriage. We'll talk about that more next week. Um, what's interesting is the devil, Lucifer's looking for freedom. And uh, Motyer, another commentary, said that the freedom not to trust God becomes the doorway to the loss of freedom itself. What the devil did not know is that the more he thought he would be free, the more he just became God's devil. He, he was only doing what God intended him for to do. He will never be independent of God's will for his life. And so while he sought independence away from God and God's authority and God's control, he became a slave. And now the devil is more of a slave than he ever was. 
And so we need to remember, he's not just involved in Ouija boards and seances and tarot cards and sorcery and wizardry and witchcraft, although 30 years ago I could have said that and it would have been like, well, yeah, duh, whatever, you know, we understand that. Today, I don't know that I can just pass that by. There's so many Christians caught up in things like this and reading things that, that glorify witchcraft and that glorify sorcery and that, that promote these things. I don't want to just jump by that. Uh, if, if we are so far gone that we can just imbibe these things, well, that's just one trick that he has gotten to people to, to give in and over and over and over again. And that's what he does. He undermines to the point where pretty soon we don't even see the danger. But there's also another way that he deceives, and that is through, that is through righteousness, self-righteousness, right? So he finds opportunity. Warren Wearsby. Uh, again, in his book, he's able to make people doubt God. He deceives them into thinking that God is not all wise and trustworthy. And he gets people to think God is deceiving them. And that's something we need to watch for, even if your marriage is going through struggles, or maybe you're at a point where you're like, well, I don't know that God is good. And you start questioning and hesitating, uh, then you need to be solidified that God is good. Do not let Satan cause you to doubt that. Next, he causes us to doubt the reliability of God's Word. I just said doubt, but what is it to doubt? What is it to doubt? What what are some characteristics of doubt? Okay, you mistrust. And you might start off as just hesitating, right? If you doubt something, you might just hesitate. You might hear something and you go, oh, first you hesitate. The serpent got Eve to hesitate first before he was able to get her to doubt. In a doubt, Noah Webster, by the way, if you don't have Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary, you need to get it. It's very helpful. Uh, I will continue to uh, promote that just because it's such a helpful resource. Um, Webster said, to waver or fluctuate in opinion, to hesitate, to be in suspense, to be in uncertainty, to be in suspense, to be in uncertainty, rejecting the truth or fact. What was fact was God was good. He created Adam and Eve, and He was good. He gave them everything they could ever want. And yet, the devil was able to get them to hesitate and even acknowledging that God was good. And that's scary. And we can find ourselves in the same place. Uh, and he can get us to doubt all sorts of things. So what would be some things that Satan causes us to doubt? What, what are some ways that he gets us to hesitate? Maybe not reject out and out, but just starts by causing us to hesitate in our own minds. What might be some... Okay, the importance of the church. So how would that... What might be some hesitations there? Um, not knowing, not feeling like it's really worth it or beneficial to get involved in ministries or attend like regularly. Okay. So, he, yeah, he can, he can do it in all sorts of ways. Well, I just, you know, it's not doing me any good or I don't want to be overcommitted or, you know, church... I can have church at home. Um, I can watch it on TV. You know, I mean, you could you could... There's all sorts of ways that he could cause us to hesitate and begin to rethink what is a biblical command. There's the, there's the, there's the uh, crux there is that there's a command that we are to be in church, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, and that we're to be there consistently and we're not to forsake the assembly of believers. And that if we do, we are literally putting ourselves in danger to be unprepared for the day of Christ's return. That's serious. And yet he can get us to hesitate and say, 
eh, I'll be half-hearted in church, or it doesn't matter where I go, it doesn't matter where you go, and you don't want to go where they are really serious about church if you go anywhere. And so you can see, you start to hesitate, uh, you know, and, and, and that's what he does. He suggests. He doesn't just lie out and out first. What else? What might be some other hesitations that we face today that we find ourselves much like Eve around the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? But now we have a sin nature, so he's got a, a serious advantage. Spanking doesn't work. We'll talk about that later this summer. Uh, does, spank, does God's Word command us to spank? It most certainly does, uh, over and over again. And to refuse that, as many are doing, is, is rejecting the very Word of God and the wisdom of God. And it's very easy for Satan to... Because of our culture, maybe because of abuse in the past, maybe because it was done wrongly when you were growing up to say, it doesn't work, don't do it. Uh, and yet you'll be rejecting the very Word of God and you'll be fostering self-righteousness. You will be not be delivering your child from foolishness, which the Bible says that's what it does. And you're going to run into lots of issues. Now, you might have, a, you might have one child that rarely needs it and one that needs it every day. But the reality is, is whenever they do need it, you, the Bible says that that is the primary way that you discipline your children. Now, again, there's lots of discussion for how that's done, and, and that, that would be for another class. But, but there is a command, and it's very easy to, to, to pull back from that command and disobey it and listen to the voice of, of Satan. Remember, remember, it did not go well for Eli with his sons who, who would not come down hard on them uh, in, in their sin. And they had become grown men. Uh, and he, but he still had, the, in that sense, he still had the authority. What about David that never once raised his voice towards his son? Didn't go well. Uh, and the Bible makes that very clear. Um, and so uh, that would be another one. Don't spank your children. What else? Any, anything else? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean... God's God, you know, God's not going to take care of you. You got, you know, God, where is he? Look at Job, right? Job looked around, he couldn't find God. Uh, I mean, devil had a clear attack on Job behind the scenes. Uh, he is destroying his family uh, and in every way is getting Job to to not trust God. And it would have been easy. And Job, and yet Job through it all said, What? I look, I look around, I don't see God but I know that He knows the way that I take and that when I'm through this trial, I'll come forth as gold. My trust is in the Lord in the midst of that. Yeah. Love is love. Yeah. And again, this starts. This didn't start with love is love. It started with rejecting God. Hath God really said? You know, is God really your authority? Um, and where does it lead to? It leads to the debauchery uh, that we are seeing today. Um, I just saw a, a clip yesterday of... Uh, and this has been going on since the 80s at least, but these big parades where we're young, we're queer, we're here for your children. We're, we're marching for your children. Uh, and this isn't just the, the little weird parades they used to have, you know, back in the day. This is a growing group. Uh, and Satan has deluded their minds and now they are living out the depravity. They just sink further and further into depravity in it, and it's sad. 
And, and so you've got that on one side, and then I look out my window as I, am, as I am preparing for the message as I was in the sanctuary, and I look down, and this barbecue fest is going on, and I see two Mormons get out of their car, and they are just as deluded because in their self-righteousness, they think they have the true gospel, and yet the devil, is, which will be our next point, distorting God's Word, uh, has done just that. And, and self-righteousness leads you to hell. Debauchery leads you to hell. Satan has his many, many tactics, and he never stops. He's like a lion, the Bible says, that, and he seeks anyone he can devour. All right, we've got to keep moving because I am, like, out of time. Uh, let me just move down to then... Uh, great quote by Wearsby, God accomplishes His will on earth through truth. Satan accomplishes his purposes through lies. Uh, he presents his lies as God's truth. I think I will, I don't think I want to go much further because I do want to deal with this and distorting God's Word next week, and we are out of time. Am I out of time? Is that right? Is that when we'll try to end? Craig would be out of time, so I'm out of time. Let me just make sure I don't have anything else that I... Uh, yeah, I, I, think, I think one, another quote uh, that I think is very helpful uh, by William Gurnall, set a strong guard about thy outward senses. These are Satan's landing places, especially the eye and the ear. Um, what, if you look back in this passage, what did Satan go after? Her senses. She saw, she tasted, you know, she touched. Um, and, and he does the same thing today. If you read John Bunyan's The Holy War and the, the gates of the soul, the eye gate, the ear gate, Satan is a master at getting into the soul, into the heart through those gates. Uh, you need to be careful that what you listen to and what you watch, uh, it does have an impact. In the, and in, if you've been around long enough to see, you can see where education system and the entertainment industry has all greatly promoted Satan's agenda, and we, we, we see it. It's just, it's, it's crazy to see where we've gone. Uh, and he has convinced us that it just doesn't matter. It's not a big deal. But we need to be aware. We need to be aware and, and understand that there is an enemy of our soul, and he takes it as a battle. He knows it's a battle, and sometimes we don't. Uh, we don't live as it's a battle. We live as if he is... You know, there's no, there's no real battle going on here. Uh, well, we're in a battle, and we need to put on the full armor of God and uh, encourage us uh, next week as we shift this thing into the family arena uh, that just remember that your family, God, Satan, hates. Uh, he hates those who have been made in the image of God and especially those who are believers uh, that now he, that's his primary work. He's already got many deluded but he turns his attention on the church and on our family. All right, any questions? Any questions there? Yep. To what extent does the devil or the demons have control over the physical world? Because yeah. I assume that they don't, but right. they possess animals who don't have souls. Right, right. So you're saying like even uh, disasters and... Yeah, moving yeah. objects. Like to what extent? Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think God gives them a certain amount of power. I, I mean, that, that seems to be throughout Scripture that, you know, even like with Job, uh, working what happened with Job and, um, and other, you know, other things where there seems to be a, a level of, you know, 
delegated authority. Uh, when Satan comes to Jesus, there seems to be some real way that he can offer them the kingdoms of the world. Um, I mean, he's certainly trying to get him to bypass the cross. There's a much easier way to get the kingdoms of the world. Uh, so, you know, he definitely has some type of, of authority all under the sovereignty of God. And, and again, even when he gets David to number the people, it was David's heart that did that in his pride. Satan used his pride. He capitalized on it. But it also says that God was the one who moved in, uh, in a situation. So that's, that's how these things work. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good question. And even in the books that I am reading, uh, differ on, you know, kind of maybe the range of what that looks like. Um, for instance, if you read, uh, even if you're reading Erwin Lutzer's book, he would say definitely yes. Um, if you are reading maybe some other books, they'd say no. The Puritans certainly thought that was the case, uh, that they can't, they can't possess a Christian, uh, but they can certainly oppress believers, and they certainly can influence believers. Um, Satan spoke through Peter, you know, uh, J Jesus recognized it was Peter's words, but Satan was influencing him. He certainly influenced Ananias and Sapphira to lie to the Holy Spirit. So there's a, there's a real, uh, there's a real influence there that Satan can have. I don't believe he can possess a believer. The, the Holy, somebody that has the Holy Spirit indwelling them cannot be indwelt by demons. Uh, but I do believe they're much more active than what we think sometimes. And, and even because I have shifted away from the excesses of maybe circles that, that are all about rebuking Satan and, you know, everything, there's a demon behind every bush, um, we can't move too far the other way. And it's only our sin. It's only our heart that we're dealing with. Um, and uh, it's interesting. Uh, Rachel gone? Did she leave? Okay. So uh, even you'll, you'll even hear Jay Adams not talk a lot about Satan because of his eschatology. He's all millennial, and he believes he's bound. And so he won't give a lot of credit there to, to Satan uh, and Satan's work. Now, I think it's right in the sense that it's, it's focusing on the heart. We can't sit there and say, my demons are making me do this. No, it's your heart's doing that. It's just Satan will capitalize on that and, and make the situation worse, if you will. So, um, so it is our heart, and that's the right way to, to approach that. But there are things where, where I would not necessarily agree with. Uh, there, there really is an active Satan seeking to devour, and he is causing harm. So, uh, yeah, lots there. But anyways, anything else? I wish I had all summer because the more I'm studying, it's like, well, there's more that needs to be said here, but uh, that's why I'm trying to recommend some good resources. Well, just so there is this difference of, you know, interpreting sin, Satan, our response would be the same regardless, correct? Mm -hmm. like, we still need to renew our minds with the Word yes. and repent and, yeah. you know, be thinking rightly. So that's... whatever the cause... Correct. You still have to deal with it that's, the same way, correct? That's correct. Uh, and again, I, the, the tenor of Scripture is, is that you are growing in your sanctification. In fact, Ephesians 4, where it talks about not giving the devil op opportunity, you're, you're renewing your mind, you're putting off, you're putting on. That's, it, it, that is what you're doing. We're not focusing on, you know, are we fighting the devil a different way than our, just our personal sanctification? No, we're not. 
It's just being aware of his devices. Uh, it's being aware that he is, is deceiving. That, uh, and so we certainly have armor to put on that helps us be aware of that in the right way and, and that we are not ignorant of his devices. So, um, so yeah, but I, I don't think we change our strategy as far as, you know, how we go about fighting him or, or focusing on him. So that's a good question. But I do think Ephesians makes it very clear. You are, you are renewing your mind daily through Scripture, and you are uh, putting off unrighteousness and putting on righteousness. Um, so, good. All right. Anything else? And if you have any questions next week, please do come. Uh, maybe, maybe some of these things are, are, you know, you haven't thought about, or even if you don't agree with something, I'm, I'm always open to, uh, to hear that. So... Uh, but yet, nevertheless, we have three enemies that are seeking to destroy our soul. And the one that makes himself a friend of these enemies makes himself the enemy of God. And that's why this is serious stuff. And we just want to be careful. All right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do come and we do thank you for uh, your word that you have given us uh, all that we need, again, to grow in our walk with you, that you've even exposed Satan's devices, uh, that we do not need to fear him improperly, uh, that we can resist him when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And I pray that we would be biblical in the way that we think. I pray that we would uh, be striving against sin. I pray that we would be uh, having compassion on the world that is blinded by the God of this world. Um, even, uh, even to the point where He desires to destroy the name of Christ. Uh, the prince of this world has nothing in Christ. And so I just pray that uh, we would see God glorified. I pray the church would even be uh, actively pursuing Christ with full hearts. And uh, even that we would see awakening in our churches, uh, a true desire for holiness uh, that would impact our community and and I pray that as we continue to uh, grow and to, to move towards uh, eternity, uh, that our hearts would be fixed on the work of Christ. And we're thankful that the devil has nothing on us, that we have nothing to fear uh, because we have Christ. And uh, I just thank you that Christ defeated and destroyed the works of the devil and uh, that he overcame and did not allow himself to be tempted uh, to sin. And so we're grateful for our ex great example, and I pray that we would follow that. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.